Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, February the 16th, 2024. Welcome, as always, on a Friday to That Was The Week, although in a way, perhaps today, uh, the show should be renamed That Will Be The Week. It's three weeks till the Oscars, uh, the annual celebration in Southern California of movies, but Keith Tier, as a typical Northern Californian, thinks he's ahead of Southern California, and he's already given out the Oscars, even though there's three weeks till the great ceremony. He has given the Oscar, at least in that was the week's newsletter for this week, to Sora, the AI uh, animated uh, movie uh, intelligence. Uh, so, Keith, are you suggesting that um, you know more than the people who do the Oscars? Uh, is Sora going to get the Oscar in three weeks' time? Well, well just a, a little detail, Andrew. It does say 2026. It doesn't. Oh, oops. It doesn't say 2024. So uh, I missed that. So I am. I am saying. No, or even uh, that will be the week in uh, in two years and three weeks. Exactly, because Sora. Uh, for those who don't yet know, Sora is the name OpenAI is given to its video generation platform, and um, it produced a whole bunch of demo videos, typically around a minute long. They are mind-blowingly good, and. Um, yeah, and your favorite, which I watched, was um, Snow Dogs. Yeah, it's really good, and 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 the um, uh, you know it made me think. When was it that we thought it would be normal for Netflix and Apple TV, or Amazon Prime to be nominated for Oscars for stuff they produced? I, I don't think it was that long ago. It would have been really weird not that long ago to think that that could happen. So I actually think it's very likely that AI is going to produce whole movies. Yeah, um, and they're going to have to change the awards. Um, the current model is we get you give awards, obviously, for movies, but for actors, for cinematography, for uh, film editing. Is AI going to change all that, Keith? I mean, you still tend to be... I mean, this is all so open but you still tend to be relatively optimistic you think it will be a boon to the movie industry some people are much less optimistic well that's a longer conversation about the balance between um, human creativity and tools um, i don't i don't expect the tools will be very good without human creativity um, i think they'll be you know, surprisingly... the level of your art that you use for that was the week. I think exactly. So, so I, I, I don't ex. I, you know, I. It would take me um, ten years to learn art to produce that image. So my skills are lacking, but my creative brain had something like that in it, and the tool let me extract from my brain something that I couldn't possibly have done without lots of training. And so tell me a little bit more about. Sora. I mean, I looked at the video and it, the Snow Dogs video, it is good. Is it hard to do? I mean, do you need to have any skills in cinematography to be able to, to use Sora? 
Well, they haven't released it to the public yet. It's still in, in test. So I don't, the answer is I don't know. But according to what I read, they, they, I link in the newsletter to a whole technical document that they released. Uh, it is simply a prompt. It is you know, uh, that the prompt for the dog video was literally one sentence long. And the intelligence figured out the camera angles, the, the close up, what kind of dogs, how it interacted with the snow. All of that was done in, in the AI. So I think the answer is you don't need any skills at all. You just need the idea. So the winners of the Oscars in 2026, it's not going to be companies. It's going to be creative individuals who know, who know how to ask questions to give prompts. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about the movie Avatar, which is probably the movie we most think of as being state of the art, you know, in terms of use of FX, I've got to imagine movies at that level of quality will be able to, to be produced by AI much faster. I mean, Avatar took years, right? Years. Teams. Uh, I mean, when you go to these, especially these animated films, there's about a 10-minute section at the end of the film just to list the people who, who created it. Right. So now I, I don't think the, the kind of script quality of a Toy Story or an Avatar is going to come out of AI. Uh, I do think talented script writers are going to use AI to produce scripts faster and edit them quicker and turn them into uh, at least storyboard level video faster. I mean, the, the whole production process really from the idea all the way through to the end result is going to be impacted. Lots of startups, Keith, in this space. I know one or two entrepreneurs with their own. Um, and in your essays of the week this week, you talk about AI unicorns. I haven't heard you mention unicorns positively for months, if not years. Is, is this AI revolution sparking more optimism when it comes to billion-dollar startups? Not yet. Um, I, I'd say it's slow. Um, to give you a sense of it, that article's by my wife, Jenna on Crunchbase. And she makes the point that there were 95 unicorns last year compared to 600 in 2021. So clearly the number of unicorns being produced is much smaller. And then she notes that um, the, you know, a lot of them are coming out of AI and she names Mistral as one of those. Um, and Light Matter is another one. Um, and Maintain X, which is an industrial digitization platform for manufacturing. Now, that, those three, you know, you start to understand that AI is going to move from digital to physical world. Uh, to, obviously, it already is. Like a Tesla production line uses AI to make cars, and there's a lot of robots and less people. But it's going to go much further, much faster. I think it makes Tesla's attempt to do um, a walking, talking robot a little bit more interesting. Um, the recent demos have shown a lot of progress. So how long before we get from AI that we can use as a tool to AI that can do work that otherwise we would have to do? I don't know how long that is in years. I mean, my pessimistic side would say 10 years. My optimistic side would say three years from now, there'll be something we don't expect. Well, 10 years, as you know, is really a punt. Yeah. Uh, saying we have no idea. And speaking of punting, uh, last week was the Super Bowl, which 
unfortunately, San Francisco lost. Uh, your newsletter uh, talks about 40, uh, has a piece from the New York Times. 40 years ago, this ad, the famous Apple ad, changed the Super Bowl forever. Um, when you were watching the Super Bowl last week, did you think of that ad? I, I'm not sure how. I didn't. I didn't think of that ad. I, I watched the Super Bowl, and therefore I watched most of the ads, which was, I think, quite underwhelming. That that Super Bowl ad that Apple did, and by the way, the 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 New York Times article is very good. It goes into a lot of detail with yeah. the players who were active at the time as to how that ad emerged, and it it's a lot. It's a lot more. Um, it's a Ridley Scott produced uh ad very famous i think it's won all sorts of awards ridley scott of course still going he just came out with his 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 new movie napoleon so now the, what's interesting is how bold the vision was and how uh how radical they intended to be they were they were really pointing the finger at uh, big tech as it then was which is mainly ibm and saying they were going to disrupt it um, yeah, remind us, Keith, historically, back in uh, 1984, I know you weren't really born then, but um, what, what was the situation? What was, uh, what was Apple advertising in 84? Well, a a Apple had gone through some, uh, it, was at the, it was at the end of a very hard time uh, and was releasing the new Mac. Uh, the first, you know, that Mac that is that was um, like a box with a screen in it, and um, IBM and Microsoft dominated home computing. You could buy a, you could buy a, a PC with a tiny hard drive, or, or some of them only had floppy drives, um, uh, for a lot of money, and and they didn't do very much, and they were based on DOS. That is to say. The interface was green, green words uh, and dots. It wasn't graphical, and and uh, Apple basically produced something at roughly the equivalent price point that was graphical, stealing a lot of ideas from Xerox Park. It had a mouse, which was the first time the mouse came about as a as a mass market thing, at least, and so it was truly revolutionary, and it had software that you know was not that different to the software we use today uh, like and, and the ad is is memorable it shows a, a a young woman a young athlete throwing a hammer at a screen and liberating all these 1984 style clones it it's seen i guess almost as an extinction event in terms of tech right. and, and we have another extinction event uh apparently at least in one of your links keith this week in the New Yorker about, is the media prepared for an extinction level event? It's kind of AI, it's about the end of, of media, of newspapers, of online magazines. What did you make of this New Yorker piece? It's, it's, it's certainly not the first or the last of its type. Yeah, it, I think it's a gathering together of a bunch of threads that have been in the ether for, for the last couple of years really but have accelerated with the rise of AI which is is what we've talked about two or three times now on the show which is if if AI is good at delivering the stuff you need why will you ever go to the source 
Um, and, 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 and I think that is the question that runs through that article. It's a long article, well thought. Yeah, through. I thought it was very good by Claire Malone. Of course, though, it, it also means that if you never go to the source, that source will go away because no one will be paying the journalist who's actually creating the news. So in the end, AI will, the news or the information on AI will be premised on at best amateurs, sometimes propaganda or states or fantasists of one kind or another. But it's kind of interesting to think about the whole value chain of information that starts, you know, hyper local actually. Um, and then, you know, historically how, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the Morse code system that was existed with a telegraph, which then led to the emergence of things like Reuters and Associated Press, which then fed all these privately owned media houses. Um, how what that, that entire value chain really goes, I, I don't even really know why it still exists. When, when you've got 4 billion people with smartphones and you've got uh, information passing at the speed of light uh, from anywhere in the world to anywhere else in the world, and don't you though don't you pay for subscriptions don't you pay for the new york times i do but i pay for depth and quality which i still will i don't think that stops but and I, isn't that what that was the week is curated by keith tear you couldn't curate this with ai or you could but it wouldn't be as good i certainly could try to curate everything except the editorial well, you could write that you could get ai to write the editorial yeah, but then it wouldn't be me. I, I, I wouldn't. Well, then want... the curation wouldn't be you either. You wouldn't choose. Actually, actually, different stuff. No, no. I tell you what. There's a lot of inefficiency in my. I'll tell you where it would really help. I read stuff every day, and I basically bookmark stuff that's intended for uh, curation, and that that bookmark lives in a website called Feedly. That list has a RSS feed. Um, but um, I have to manually go and copy and paste each article into Substack every week. And, I, and there is no good tool yet that will read my Feedly and create my curated list with headings and topic areas like... I got the title, Keith, of this show, Read My Feedly. Sounds a bit vulgar, doesn't it? We'll have to send that to yeah. Janae. Funnily enough, if you follow my Twitter, you will see every article that I, that I bookmark in real time and well i'm going to read your feedly are you gonna how many feed lists do you have keith one oh. well a lot of this stuff's going to end up in court it already is and you have a couple of pieces this week that talk about upcoming um court cases that may shape our new economy and determine whether or not this is indeed an extinction event um there's the new york times versus OpenAI copyright lawsuit. And then there's an upcoming Supreme Court hearing actually early next week about whether the government can seize control of YouTube and Twitter. What do you make of these two? And what are the two articles suggesting? Well, uh, Mike, Mike um, from O'Reilly Media, who I imagine must be Greek, Mike Lukidis, um, he, he actually takes a different point of view than his boss, Tim O'Reilly. He, he argues that OpenAI may pay as little as a million dollars publishers to allow it to train on their data. 
and he thinks that um, it's not a terribly high price and it could go as high as 5 million, but those are numbers that are small enough that OpenAI would happily pay. So he's basically predicting that there'll be an accommodation between the media industry and AI because even the media industry will want its own AIs. You, know, you can't imagine. Have, uh, has OpenAI got good lawyers? Are they tooling up, so to speak, Q? Well, they, they inevitably do have good lawyers because they raised a lot of money. Um, so uh, I don't think they're aggressive, though. I think they're trying to figure out a legitimate fit, if you will, in the egos in the ecosystem. The other article is a bit different. That that's the government. So so where whereas we're talking about businesses doing deals in in the O'Reilly piece, in in the Vox piece, it's about government and it's specifically the Florida government. Um, having gotten a case all the way up to the su Supreme Court that allows them to seize control of curation. And the uh, the Vox piece that you link has a photograph of Florida's governor, a certain Ron DeSantis, which probably uh, most Vox readers aren't particularly keen on. Yeah, if you go back to the 1984 ad, this really is Big Brother. This is the idea of the government uh, a having an opinion about what legitimate speech is, and secondly, having the power to enforce it by taking over private businesses. Um, so it, it really is kind of. Um, so what's the point? So Florida and Texas don't want YouTube and Twitter. To, and it's called Twitter. I mean, I think Vox should know they changed their name, but social media platforms to what more aggressively edit what they have on their platform yeah and, and the inspiration for this is the belief that these social media platforms are biased to the left and that they are censoring the right which when really... was the last time they looked at x that that maybe that's why the the they talk about twitter which no longer exists twitter was to the left but x seems to be more to the right yeah but it's kind of it, it's it's a very um ironic uh, stance because um, when you when you think about it the, the the belief that these platforms should be open is now something championed by Republicans um, and you know not particularly liked by in quotes the left and and so here you've got the Republicans arguing that uh, they're not open enough and that government would be a better, adjudicator if you will right but then these these things always depend on the the context so conservatives are always in favor of some sort of government intervention if they think the media is controlled by the left and vice versa with the left and they're always in favor of openness if the media is doing what they want the media to do or covering what they want the media to cover quite right in other words so they, all these arguments are, are self-serving yeah they're totally unprincipled um, except for you and I, of course, Keith. With it, uh, would we describe ourselves as the two last principled men on earth? I don't think we'd be the two last. We maybe we'd be the penultimate. The two, two most distinguished. How about that? Two oldest. Yeah, certainly handsomest, grayest, handsomest. Where you speak <laughs> yourself. Um, but but in all seriousness, we've talked about this so many times. You believe that. There shouldn't be any restrictions on what these platforms publish. I, I'm not so sure. At some point, 
someone has to determine whether it's government or the owners of these platforms or perhaps the users they all have to determine what does and doesn't get shown don't they i don't think anyone should determine what does and doesn't get well, whether they should or they 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 should or they shouldn't is one issue but in reality someone will for better or worse they will but then like all issues of liberty you've got to resist uh, otherwise you know the end is the end is uh, predetermined as being an end you wouldn't particularly want to be living in and steve jobs would have to come back from the grave and make another well, he doesn't act. need to come back because he's got you as one of the last principled men on earth <laughs> exactly so you're standing up for the openness and, and we've had this conversation so many times before keith but something shouldn't appear what about propaganda Propaganda is a legitimate form of, a, of, of an attempt to influence opinion. I mean, but if people don't know it's propaganda, if if it's being published by Putin or DeSantis or well, some other group, propaganda is is just a, another word for trying to influence opinion in your favor, and and it is a legitimate human endeavor. Now, of course, there are narrower definitions of propaganda um assigned to the nazis for example that um correlate propaganda to for example the holocaust um and it's true that propaganda can at a certain point spill over into law breaking and i think that's the right place to be there are laws we vote for you know people who legislate them and you can't break them and any guesses in in these two cases how they're going to turn out the open ai new york times case and the supreme court one i actually don't know i'd be shocked if the supreme court sides with uh, florida and texas to be honest even uh, if it's a conservative court yeah but i th i think i i actually am naive enough to believe that even conservative judges care about the law and the constitution enough to not make not make decisions that are uh, unconstitutional and where does this all leave open ai you've been very bullish in the past keith about open ai you've talked about it becoming maybe by the oscars of 2026 the most powerful company in the world um uh, what what's your sense of the state of open ai particularly in the context of sora its release uh in uh, february of 2024 um um it, um I, you know i think this week has reinforced my view that OpenAI is going to have its fingers in literally trillions of dollars of value creation in in the decades ahead, uh, and it, it 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 may need to figure out you know some of its structures uh, to optimize uh, that, but it, it's going to be right in the middle of changing um everything google this week announced that it uh, you know two weeks after its previous launch has released gemini 1.5 which is capable of doing uh, 10 i've mentioned it in the editorial but it isn't one of the articles but there's a link to an article about it in the editorial and and it it ha it can cope with 10 million well why is that good for open ai they're the most direct competitor it, it's a direct reaction to OpenAI. So OpenAI is the catalyst for lots of innovation at Google. 
um, Google has a lot to lose. It has a, a revenue stream based yeah, on. What do you make also? Um, I'm not sure if you had a link in this week's newsletter. There were, there were a couple of headlines which seemed rather surreal to me of Altman. And this is not with him wearing his open AI hat, or maybe he's wearing more than one hat, trying to raise $14 trillion for some chip startup. I think that's been. Um poo-pooed. Uh, I don't think it's factual. I do think he's trying to build, um, you know, NVIDIA this week is now worth more than Amazon and Alphabet. So the chip business for AI is very, very lucrative. And there is only one game in town right now, NVIDIA. So I do think Altman is trying to raise money to have a competitor to NVIDIA. So I wonder, though, if he did. I mean, I don't know how you raised $14 trillion. It's almost the entire world GDP. Um, but if he did, what would that mean for OpenAI? It's not going to be an OpenAI company. Well, it, 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 what it means is there'll be a sunk cost to um, having the hardware that can produce you know, a 90-minute or two-hour movie uh, in minutes. Um, so the future of AI is correlated to the future of infrastructure. And clearly, those companies in the infrastructure business for AI are doing very, very well and will continue to do. And it doesn't surprise me that the leading um, operators in AI would like to be free of having to pay lots of money to other companies. And to do that, getting their own chips would be part of that. Google, by the way, has been doing that for a long time. And so has Amazon. Um, so uh, it, there's a deep, there's a lot of deep tech there. It's to do with uh, FPGA chips and different kinds of chips, um, neural networks. Um, there's a lot of science there. But the short story is if you don't want to be paying a lot of money to third parties, you've got to build your own. I don't suppose they'll serve chips, Keith, at the Oscars coming up. Um, why computer chips or English chips, which in America are called French fries? I was actually rather surprised. You gave the Oscar to Sora in 2026, but what you didn't do in your complete control of your uh, startup of the week is you didn't give the startup of the week this week to OpenAI. You've probably done it so many times in the past. You needed to find someone else, so you found brett taylor's new ai company tell me about that and tell us remind us who brett taylor is so brett taylor was most recently ceo at salesforce and he's now the chairman of the board at OpenAI. and way back he did friend feed which was i don't know if you remember using friend feed was yeah i remember steve gilmore used to champion that yeah so um brett taylor is a is a serial innovator with a lot of success behind him and he is he is now turned his mind to a company called Sierra. And Sierra is a platform to automate mundane tasks in businesses, uh, like updating databases and things that typically humans do. Um, the, 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 he started the week because A, of who he is, and B, he's raised some money. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. In a sense... He's doing what every other startup AI company from obviously from from OpenAI to uh, all the other platforms. Is this just a narrower version? 
Yeah, it's, a, it's an application. It's a bit like applied math versus math in general. Uh, he, he's basically applying the AI techniques to corporate tasks, mundane ones. There's a company called UiPath that I uh, invested in that is now worth a lot of money in public that uh, started doing this uh, about a decade ago out of Romania, actually, and then London. And um, they, they, you know, were an earlier version of enterprise automation. Uh, so what would this mean, though? I mean, wouldn't Anthropic or OpenAI or Gemini, ultimately, wouldn't they be able to do this? Why would Sierra be able to compete with one of these larger platforms? So, well, some of the uh, reaction to the announcement has said that it's going to be highly challenging because large language models are not good at linear decision making. So this is a different set of problems. It's like, uh, how do you make sure it doesn't put the wrong field in the database? There was a case today where Air Canada's chatbot told a customer that uh, who, had, who was looking for a bereaved ticket the, the, the chatbot said, well, the way you get that is you pay a full price and then you claim it back afterwards. So the, 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 the customer did that only to find out the chatbot was wrong, uh, that you actually have to do it ahead of time and get approval ahead of time. And it went to court and the judge just found that Air Canada is responsible for the... Well, they are if the chatbot's on Air Canada, but not yeah. if it's on Sierra. It's on Air Canada. So basically... You know, decision making, enterprise decision making, when it comes down to filling databases with correct information, is a di totally different problem set to large language models. So there's there's going to be um, there's going to be some pain in learning and delivering. But you know, you could probably bet on Brett Taylor figuring that out. So are you betting on him? Would you invest, Keith, in Sierra? I think I would. Well, everyone's throwing their hats into the AI ring. Uh, and one of your favorite tech people, Elad Gill, one of your heroes, has got X of the week for his X on AI. Tell me about this X, Keith. So Elad Gill is, is an investor that has been in lots of successful companies and, and, and is right in the middle of Silicon Valley when it comes to what's going on. And yesterday he posted that um, he feels like he's uh, we're now on a slope leading into the singularity. The singularity is a phrase used by followers of what's that guy's name? Uh, Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil uh, to describe a moment when innovation goes so fast that humans can't keep up with it anymore. Uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. I'm I'm finding I can keep up with it, so I don't think we're quite there yet, but. You know, if the machines start training themselves and improve what they can do in a in a non-linear way, we will get there. And Elad Gill is basically saying he's looking at that becoming a real thing now. Yeah, and judging from the uh, imagery in in the X, I'm not sure he's particularly thrilled with it. He's, is it a warning or a celebration? It's probably a little bit of both, but mostly knowing him a little bit, I, uh, not personally, but just through observing, uh, I think it's probably optimistic. Optimistic in the sense that he thinks it's a good thing? A good thing, yeah. And do you agree? Do you agree well, with Gil that, and I'm quoting the X again, working in AI right now feels like the early slope, he's obviously a skier, 
leading into the singularity. So much happening so quickly. I think I think it is a good thing because who doesn't want to do less because machines do more? I mean, uh, that to me is is the very definition of. Yeah, but you just acknowledge that you could do less and not personally curate your newsletter, but then it wouldn't be the same thing. It would be the same thing if I'm feeding it the curated stories. It, it, it would just do the grunt work. That's Brett Taylor's point. So maybe, Keith, uh, headline for me is read my Feedly. You're not telling our audience. You're telling the AI, read my Feedly. Is that right? I've tried, actually. It doesn't do a good job yet. I, I do a better job right now.